Please remain standing for our scripture lesson, continuing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, closing it out, verses 16 and 8 through 18. Picking up with the confidence that God exists and that God would raise them up, Paul writes these words. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen, dear saints. You may be seated. Let's take a time to once again pray. Ever realize how many times we pray in a worship service? When you add it up, it's pretty extensive, and it's good that we do. We should do nothing of significance or insignificance without invoking God's presence in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, especially at the preaching of the word, may our hearts be tender, open. Uh, May you enliven them in a new way, revive them, we pray, and May we be filled with the Spirit of Jesus as you feed us him. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Life of Faith, the title of our sermon for today, is both the best life and the hardest life. It is at once the most thrilling existence and the most harrowing one. In light of this candid and honest evaluation of the sincere and real Christian life in church, why would any single person ever embark on it? Well, the answer is no one would. Absolutely no one would do it without the saving work of Jesus Christ being applied to us by the sovereign Holy Spirit and regeneration. The miraculous work causes us to volitionally be willing to take on this new life. To even wholeheartedly embrace Jesus in it and enthusiastically do so. Think about it. The Christian life as described in the Holy Book is just plain too scary, too dangerous, too apparently uncertain, too risky, too hard for any human being to do it on his or her own. No one would. Zero. Therefore... Let us ask ourselves, how could this be? It is because of the sovereign, loving God, the Father in heaven, applying his grace to some people, making them his church, being willing to venture, embark upon this voyage to heaven that's really more an expedition of Christ's likeness, becoming more like Jesus day by day, Lord's day to Lord's day. There's the life of faith is not for the faint of heart. It's not for wimps and cowards and shirkers. It's not for liars and covenant breakers. It's not for people who get baptized and make vows and break them and make excuses and leave. It's not for dishonest people. It's for miraculously changed human beings who in themselves have nothing, but in Christ have everything. And these people become gentle, 
tender, contrite, repentant, valiant, strong warriors for Jesus Christ. They become the true church. We find all our strength, however, in Christ alone. And therefore, let's make it our gospel goal this resurrection day to live in Jesus by grace as God's persevering church. Looking at some amazing verses, the very end of chapter 4, 2 Corinthians four sixteen through 18, titled The Life of Faith, The Doctrine. The life of faith, though never easy, is always infinitely superior to every alternative. And beloved, when I say every other alternative, I mean every alternative, not just every other religious alternative or philosophical alternative or lifestyle alternative, but to every option that we fallen humans have to deal with as we face fearful, terrible, difficult, trying, hard times in this world, which is usually fear and anguish and angst and retreat, Those sort of natural impulses that all of us have. Anxiety and dread. Now, I'm not implying that the true saints don't also experience those feelings from time to time, because we all know we do. And that is part of the transformation and sanctification process. But we don't live in them. That isn't our identity. That's not who we are. And those things for us are only temporary. Let us now get a better feeling for and understanding that the life of faith, though never easy, is always infinitely superior to every alternative. First, we cannot lose despite overwhelming opposition. Do you believe that? It's absolutely true. If the only redeemed people on the earth were in this worship auditorium today, God would conquer the world with just you. The Christian church cannot be prevailed against with success. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. In Christ, in the miracle of the gospel, the Holy Scripture absolutely insists on this doctrine that we cannot lose despite overwhelming opposition. Let me give you a classic text on this. It's from Paul's pen, Romans 8, 35 and 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him, Christ, who loved us. Not only is it true, dears, that in this world we have overwhelming opposition, and there's no doubt about it, But apparently it also is true in the eyes of natural man that the odds are dead set against us as well. What are the odds, the chances that this small elect group of churchmen are going to conquer the world? Seems very small, doesn't it? Well, didn't it 2,000 years ago when 12 disciples did exactly that? And what we're doing today as well? It is true. It seems like we are outnumbered, outspent, outinfluenced, and outmaneuvered. But even if some of these things are actually true, and we can grant they may be, we don't really care. It doesn't matter for us, and it cannot defeat us, the God-loving, elect, redeemed church 
of Jesus Christ our Lord. We cannot lose despite overwhelming opposition. I hope you actually believe that it's actually true. Now, this has a huge impact on the way you view the world. You view it through the lens of Jesus, the gospel, the Bible, and the church, and not the news reports, and not all the counter-gospels that are put out against you. And then also, and trouble only emboldens our faithfulness. That's remarkable gospel truth. As by grace alone we overcome hardships in and through our Lord Jesus Christ, our faith in him, at the same time, we get lifted up over them. Paul, uh, David talks about this, for instance, in Psalm 25 or 27, other places. We get lifted up over them. So we're on the rock, Jesus, over our enemies that thought that they were going to overcome us. We end up overcoming them. All the while, simultaneously, we take the lowest, humblest places in the church to serve each other in love. So at once we're these tender warriors that do this glorious gospel work in the world and, more importantly, in the church. You know, the eagle has its wings strengthened as he encounters the strong winds that are blasting him in the face, and he soars higher and higher as that happens. That's how it is for the believer. None of us, if we're normal, really like hardships, trials, troubles, tribulations, distress, persecution, or any other negative dynamics afflicting us. Not if we're normal. But those are the devices that God uses. Not the only devices. He uses other very positive things from our angle. But he uses them to make us more like Christ, be conformed into his image. And in this fallen world, these problems, troubles, distresses, and difficulties are inevitable and necessary. That is a consequence of the fall. And our growth in grace in the Lord Jesus Christ is all done in the context of it. And we do indeed grow through it. Let's look at these amazing verses, 16 to 18, 2 Corinthians 4, and study the reasons regenerate church members do not lose heart. You know, there are actual reasons why you have persevered, in many cases for decades, years, months, You've persevered in Christ. You keep coming back despite hearing the truth, whether that truth makes your heart feel warm and happy or whether that truth drives you to repentance and humility. You keep coming back. There are reasons true Christian believers don't cave in, don't throw in the towel, don't give up, don't despair, and don't lose heart. And, you know, God never expected or called on you to believe or obey him for no good reason. God didn't just say, I'm God, believe in me and obey obey me just because of that. He gives you plenty of good reasons. We're going to look at three of them today. For your edification, strengthening, and encouragement, 
Consider now with me the reasons regenerate church members do not lose heart. First, because despite the fall's effects, we are still becoming more like Christ. Verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now this is a great verse, especially for those of us who are getting older, which I suspect is actually all of us, but some of us feel the effects a little more. This is great. Our outer man is wasting away. It's kind of frustrating in a way, because while the outer man is wasting away, the inner man, being renewed more and more year by year, decade by decade, is being more refreshed in Jesus Christ day by day. So you kind of wish you could put the two together, turn it around. But God has his way, right? So the outer man is wasting away. The inner man is being renewed day by day. What Paul is saying here in frankness and as an obvious matter of fact is that because of the fall of man into sin, which affected all the creation below, our bodies do wear out and down. You know that all our wrinkles, all our lost hair, all our extra weight, all our sicknesses, all our diseases, all our physical problems are a direct result of the fall. Now, now of course, part of that, the fall and sin and those other influences, just the fall itself has this kind of impact on us, even if there weren't moral agents involved, which there are. And because of the fall, we eventually wear out, we die, and death is the main curse of the fall. In the day that you eat it, Adam, you will die the death. The day you eat it, Adam, you will die the death. That's exactly what happened. He died that day. His soul died. His body ended up dying too. In God's mercy, it was a few hundred years later. But it happened. And in the meantime, he wore down. But if the story ended there, it would really be sad. Don't you feel bad for unbelievers? I do feel badly, sincerely, for older unbelievers that are friends of ours. They're in their 70s, 80s. They're trying. They're holding on. Oh, they're trying to live. They're trying to make the most out. They're trying to get all the gusto they can. Well, they can and while they're doing it, it's wearing down. The fall's working on them too. It's not just us. They're... But they have no hope. Not a false hope, a real hope. They have no hope. Nothing to look forward to. It's sad. It should give us compassion. The story doesn't end there. Paul is boldly affirming in this verse 16 that the souls, the inner selves of regenerate Christian churchmen are actually, quote, being renewed day by day, unquote. And the glory of this statement is not they might be renewed. It's not if they behave properly, they'll be renewed. It's not if they do enough religious activities, enough good deeds, they'll be renewed. No, none of that. For the true, faithful Christian churchmen, they are being renewed day by day. Despite the outer body wasting away. And because of this renewal, Paul says, he does not lose heart. And we don't either. 
We do not lose heart because we're being renewed day by day. Isn't it interesting? The body's going down, the soul's going up. By the time we finally reach that vortex and that point of connection with heaven, it's a small step into the church triumphant from the church militant for the true and faithful believer. Again, we're not talking about hypocrites or people that think their religious life is a prayer they made 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and that's it, and they're safe with God, and they don't need to... None of that false gospel, none of that. The real gospel here. Jesus Christ, the true life of every true believer. And how are we renewed day by day? There's, do you remember that fabulous verse at the end of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, verse 18? That greatest of all sanctification verses in the Bible. We are renewed by beholding the glory of the Lord Jesus being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. Now, of course, those who are being transformed one degree of glory to another are actually doing lots of things. Yeah. In church, loving Christ, loving the people of God, loving the church, serving everywhere they can, boldly affirming the faith, preaching the gospel, living it, obeying God by grace, doing what he says. The reasons regenerate church members do not lose heart because despite the false effects, we are still becoming more like Christ. And because even stubborn hardships only end up grooming us for glory. Verse 17, G-R-O-O-M-I-N-G, grooming. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So what Paul does here is he puts these things in the balance, the weight scales. Okay, so you young people doing your labs and you weigh things and, you know, you got your scales, right? And in this fallen world, we have, quote, light momentary affliction. And in the church triumphant heaven, we have, quote, an eternal weight of glory. And it way outweighs the light momentary affliction. But here's the problem. Who's going to choose the light momentary affliction without the grace of God. Answer, no one. No one will take a chance on that. Everyone will go for the world's alleged comforts and pleasures rather than light momentary affliction. And we are and were no different. You know, except for the grace of God calling us out of this death, this state of being objects of wrath before God, dead in trespasses and sins, we would never choose light momentary afflictions, even if the promise of the eternal weight of glory was on the other side of the scale, because we wouldn't believe it. It is a miracle of faith, the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Now, the more the weight of the world we churchmen conquer in Christ, the lighter our souls become as we shed that flesh. But for all of this to be done, it must be done through faith in our blessed Messiah, our Redeemer, our King. And that faith leads to love, engendering in us a desire to obey our Father out of love for Him. 
out of a proper fear of him, out of a beautiful covenant relationship with him. The reasons regenerate church members do not lose heart, because despite the false effects, we're still becoming more like Christ, because even stubborn hardships only end up grooming us for glory. And finally, because all along we have been believing the truth with eyes of faith, verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I think in some ways this is the coup de grace or key verse. That's why I have it on your outline, verse 18. I think this is really kind of the point that Paul's getting at as he closes out chapter 4. The reason for this is that all along our miraculous God-given faith in Christ and in the invisible but totally real truths he has given us has governed all this other stuff about being willing to endure our outer man or person wasting away while our inner being is being renewed day by day, by being willing to endure some light momentary affliction for the eternal weight of glory. All of it is because of the faith that God gave us. It governed everything. To expand on this, anyone could look to the seen things in the world, right? That doesn't require saving faith. But only those whose eyes have been miraculously opened by God can behold the faith-filled gaze of the heart of Christ and all the unseen truths. You know, the greatest realities in the world you have never seen with your eyes. Did you know that? But if you are in Christ, you've experienced already every one of them. Have you ever thought about the greatest realities, beings, entities in the world are all unseen? The triune God, the gospel, grace, mercy, kindness, salvation, heaven itself. These are all realities, but we haven't seen them. You know, Paul's language here in verse 18 is not just a baptized form of Platonic philosophy, as some have thought. It's much more than that. He is saying, he's calling us to faith in the unseen things, as the first part of verse 18 says. And please note there's that the unseen things are innately more valuable and greater than the, quote, seen things. Now, this doesn't mean we denigrate the seen things. We appreciate the chairs we're sitting on, people we're looking at, and the things around us, and the beautiful creation. We're not putting it down. We appreciate it. God made it. Everybody can see it who has eyes that can see. We appreciate it very much. We thank our Heavenly Father for it. But we understand and comprehend that through our God-given faith in Christ, his gospel and his written word, that it is these unseen things that are even greater and more valuable. There's, this is where the world really misses the whole point of life. It's stuck in just what it can see. And yet it has to employ unseen realities in order to appreciate what it can see. And yet it will deny the existence of the unseen reality they're employing to behold the things they can see. It's a sad thing, but... It's because 
Unbelievers suppress the truth in unrighteousness, Romans 1. That's why we did it. We did it, and they do it too. Because it's scary. Yeah. You better believe God's scary. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, for the unbelievers, it's scary. Judgment Day, dears, it's coming. No doubt about it, Judgment Day. I don't know when it is, but it's coming. It's scary. And what is eternally true is inherently more valuable than what, quoting Paul, is transient. Well, as always, let's do some more application this morning and consider together why Christ alone is the key to the life of faith. Now, there's this because sinners, even Christian sinners, place their faith in other, even sometimes unseen things, that there is failure in religious lives, idolatry, and no supernatural life or joy in the Christian profession. That's why. It's because, and we're tempted to do it too, this is Satan's plan, to believe something else other than Jesus. He alone is the key to this. His centrality cannot be overemphasized. Because of this, let's now flesh out some of the primary reasons why Christ alone is the key to the life of faith. First, because he himself has conquered sin and death. You know, we didn't conquer sin and death. We made sin and death necessary, and we participated in it. We had nothing to do with vanquishing sin and death. Only our King and Redeemer, our glorious head, our elder brother, our best friend, the one we can trust, absolutely and implicitly, he did it. Now, someone might innocently ask, is not the word of God written and preached key to a life of faith? And the answer is absolutely yes, it is. But it is so because the preached charismatic word of God, based on, in, and out of the inscripturated propositional word of God, leads us to the greatest expression of the word of God, Jesus Christ, the Logos, the personal word of God. So on the cross, this personal word of God, our Lord Jesus Christ bore all the sins of all the elect people from Adam to the last human being before the judgment day. That's elect. And he took on himself the full fury and holy wrath of God against all our rebellion against him. Jesus took it all. On the cross also, the Father legally imputed, counted, accounted, placed on our account the perfect, pristine righteousness of Jesus Christ, his beloved Son, and he accounted, imputed to his glorious Son our iniquities, all of them. He bore that wrath of God for us on the cross. We're going to be celebrating that, especially here at the Lord's Supper. In time and space in this world, the Holy Spirit applies Christ's atonement to the souls of the elect, and then we're regenerate. And then, when we hear the gospel preached, we gladly and immediately accede to it, because it is the good news from heaven. Why Christ alone is the key to a life of faith? Because he himself has conquered sin and death. 
And Jesus has given his church the spoils of his victory all in himself. Now, some of the most important of these spoils we've already mentioned, almost all of them are unseen, although they're all felt and they're known, and we know they're true. The Holy Spirit has confirmed to our hearts that they're true. We know they're true. It's a miracle that we know they're true, but we know they're true. Atonement, forgiveness of sins, freedom, justification, sanctification, glorification, adoption, filial fellowship with God the Father, proper fear of God. All of these are had in the person of Christ received by faith. Now, there's someone here today might be saying, yes, pastor, but how may I exercise this faith? I'm not sure I can do this. I feel inadequate. I feel unprepared. This seems like it's just too much. It's going to make too big a difference. I just don't feel I know what to do. Well, my pastoral answer to you is simply this. Look at your heart. What do you want? Do you want this glorious Messiah? Do you want this wonderful life? Do you want joy inexpressible and full of glory that you could never imagine? Do you want the best life? Do you want a life you will never, ever regret? Not even for a moment, even though you will know it is a hard life. It is an impossible life. It's harder than the life of the unbeliever going to hell. But you will never, even for a moment, regret it. Not once. And especially if you follow him, you'll never regret it. Whatever he calls you to do, in whatever calling you have, as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a parishioner, as a worker, as a student, as a teacher, as whatever it is he calls you you will not regret it what do you want are you willing to venture everything you are and all you have on him all of it are you willing to do it even though you know you're saying to yourself i don't even know if i can do that and i'm sure i'm going to mess up once i do and all that's true but are you willing to venture it all on Jesus, to trust him for a new life. And are you willing, this is important, to abandon your old dead existence in sin and misery and despair and wickedness? That's called repentance. And that's a big question because most people, of course, no one not being worked upon by the Holy Spirit would ever abandon those things. We love those things. We're perverse. We're wretched. We're twisted beyond measure. We're perverted in the most profound ways. Are you willing? What is your desire? These are big ultimate questions, dears, and they're hard ones. And you know, when Jesus called people to him, he didn't say, ah, blithely think about it, make a decision. He said, no, think about it. Decide whether this really is what you want. Are you willing to take up your cross daily and follow him and die to your old dead foolish self every day and live really in Christ, even though it's hard? And I'm not going to pretend even for a moment that I do not already fully, absolutely know that no one 
Not you or me or anyone else would do this, this call to Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit wasn't working in you. Not going to happen. But if this is your situation, I invite you to come to the cross. Even, if appropriate, to the table today. Ask God to give you his son Jesus. Believe that his blood cleanses away all your sins. And recognize that in his resurrection, the fullness of your justification was sealed forever. Your righteousness. And then prepare yourself to rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory that you could never have imagined possible for a human being. Well, but the life of faith really is the way to true freedom if we want it. Jesus Christ alone is the proper and only object of the life of faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for that. We praise you for the fact that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the object of our faith. We thank you that he is the one that gives us all perfection in himself. Thank you that you call us to this supernatural, heavenly, otherworldly life. And yet, uh, in doing so, you do it for our benefit and for your glory. We thank you and bless you for you're the sovereign God and you're calling your people to yourself and you will not be thwarted. You will have your way. We bless you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.